Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody, to another breakdown episode from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Coming at you on this Thursday. New day for us, launching these on Thursdays. Hope everybody's getting used to it. Jacob, how you doing? Oh, doing well. Doing well. Just getting more and more excited about whitetails. Yeah. Oh, um, we, 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 just, awesome. we just sat down, pulled out the calendar, kind of planned out our, our big destination hunts and trips that we're doing. You know, a few in the state of Alabama. You know, Arkansas, a little Kansas action. Probably three in Alabama. Uh, yeah. Yep. 
So three, three should, we, should we just tell people what we're uh, looking at looking at so far? Yeah, just, just name where we're going to go hunting and everything. Okay. Yeah. So I'll give each of you the names of the WMAs for $10 a pop. <laughs> I don't think that's worth it. Yeah, no. That's not worth no. it at all. What about $1,000 a pop? Sure. I, you might move the needle with 1000 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, you gotta we're go, talking you, about... You got to go over to our OnlyFans account, uh, Big Bucks Only. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, let's see. Alabama, obviously, for sure, because we both live in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Arkansas, for sure. Sorry, all you Arkansas folks. Um, everyone gets mad when we talk about Arkansas because it's a sleeper state. Well, too too bad that two of the guests we have on from this week's episode oh, both yeah. from Arkansas. Yeah, so. hey, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. Um, we're doing Kansas. Well, I don't know. Kansas put a – they tried to hit my card the other day, but they were just putting a, a hold on it, I guess, because it – I logged in and it said like they haven't drawn yet, so I don't know if we drew mm. Kansas or not. But we should draw Kansas. We should draw Kansas. We, we talked to uh, Jordan Blissett about our Kansas points, and he was like, well, "How many points y'all had?" And I think you were like, "Well, we got we average out to two and a half." He's like, "That's two and a half more than you need." <laughs> I was like, huh? "Well, good no. We'll see. We'll see." So hopefully Kansas. Um, you know what's bad about Kansas? By what's the way? that? Since we didn't put it as a group. I may draw. You might not draw. Dude, I've already actually thought about that because I tried to set up the group. I couldn't figure it out. I'm, but part this now, people listening might be like, "How could you not figure it out?" Like this, it, it was simple. last minute. <laughs> we literally did it the evening of the last. It was like, like two nine hours, p.m. Yeah, the two servers hours. crashing because everybody else in the country is trying to get their Kansas tag yeah, at the same time. Yeah, all thirty thousand people trying to apply. Yeah, so that happened. But yeah, I've already thought like, dude, what if Jacob draws and I don't? I guess you're going to be one hell of a cameraman. (laughs) For real. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it'll be painful. Um, So, uh, let's see. Those two. Mississippi. Oh, yeah. Mississippi, yeah. And Tennessee, right? Yeah. Tennessee, oh, well, yeah. Pretty much all but confirmed Tennessee. Because you're going to try to do the Velvet Hunt this year. So, is that it? I might try to do Georgia. Because my Georgia license is still going to be good for early bow season. So, But uh, that's not really on the calendar. It's kind of a spur of the moment thing. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, yeah, there's gonna be more hunting going on. But talking, I was about talking you. to Brian Grossman about going to hunt with him Ooh. over there on a on a place he's pretty familiar with. So might go do that. Hunt little Brian again. It's fun Ooh. last year. Um, did I miss any? Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, maybe Georgia. There's a couple other maybe yeah. pending. It just depends. Yeah, you know, yeah. get a, get a wild hair here or there. Couple big hunts in Alabama. Yeah, you know, outside of our normal escapades. Very, very excited about that. Very excited g- about g- the the Bama hunts. You're gonna, to do, you're gonna do some pretty cool hunting camps. Have, have uh, some buddies, uh, you know, come down hopefully and be able to, you know, get everybody together and, and do some interesting hunts. So, uh, very, very excited about that. It should it should be really fun. I, I, I'm I'm beyond excited. This season, God, I'm so excited for this season, dude. Like just. Sh- so much going on. There's this, so much going on. This is the time of year where you're you're whipping out the map and you're kind of trying to think about what you want to do. You're you're thinking about last year and yeah, this is when the the temperature starts rising. Dude, not to get too sidetracked here. I, I was actually sitting last night. I was thinking about this. Um, the last few bucks that you've killed. Okay. Yep. How many times did you kill them on the first time in to that spot versus like you have hunted that spot like previously, whether it's like the day before or whatever. I know your mountain buck. It was the first time going to that spot. First time. Uh, is it? Well, I can't, do you can't scouting. It well, I scouted it twice. the The last time I scouted it was about two weeks before I killed that buck. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess the first time you officially hunted, killed. Yeah, it. first time I actually hunted it. Um, the SOA buck. That was the day after. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, so uh, the the two bucks that I had shot in that big giant landscape saddle mm-hmm. in the glade. Um, the first one was the first time I hunted it. I'd found it in the past, though. Yeah. First time in, killed one. Second time in, two weeks later, I killed another one. Yeah. Same spot. And then your Georgia buck, I guess George, you, you, technically, was, you technically hunted it the day before, kind of. You kind of, like, slipped, s- scouted. I mean, I, yeah. So, so, same thing. I went in and I scouted it in the afternoon and then bumped the buck out of there. And then uh, I didn't stay there. I ended up backing out. Yeah. And then the next morning I went in and actually got in a tree and hunted it and killed that buck. Because I was doing this. So I was thinking about this. So both my Arkansas bucks last year was the first time ever stepping foot on those spots the day I shot both of those deer. Mm-hmm. The uh, Alabama buck, uh, the mountain buck, even though you'd been there previously, it was the first time I sat there and yep. killed a deer. And then, let me think, Iowa is kind of different. I don't know. 
Anthony had been hunting there. So I guess first time I sat there, but he had been hunting there a little bit before I shot that deer. And I was trying to think, what else? SOA, second day in. But yeah, I was just trying to think about that. Like the last few bucks we've killed, like how many, it's like the first time going into that spot ever versus, you know, spots you've hunted repeatedly, you know, before. Well, um, even like when we, I always, I always think of Glenn Solomon when I think about that subject because he was he was the one where he was like first time episode one sixteen yeah classic the classic of all classics he was he was saying like oh your first time in is your best time and a lot of people since then have said it too and uh, that's true but I think with Glenn uh, it wasn't always I don't know if it was always truly like his first time in like a lot of the guys that say that have scouted that spot before and it's just the first time like diving in and actually hunting it yeah right I, I agree. And even the, even, I mean, even when you just talked about that, I think I just noticed a pattern like the last, I don't even know how many bucks that we've shot between the two of us have been in areas where it's like, maybe, maybe it's the first time you hunted it. Maybe it's the second time you hunted it, but you've been there before or somebody who you trust and know has been there before and gave you the information. Some, I mean, the thing is like the, the out liars for me would be those Arkansas deer because both of those spots you just straight up just, win it. Other, other than looking at a map but yeah. looking at on x be like okay this looks good go in there and sit and like oh sweet this, this works out um and it's like i was thinking like you know two other like really big deer i've ran in on uh or had encounters with uh in, in tennessee on some public it was both of those deer it was the very first time i'd sat in those spots i'd never scouted them looked at aerial maps and not like physically boots on the ground but on the maps everything looked exactly like what i was looking for like all these compounding features and habitat edges oh yeah and go in there and again one of the bucks who keep making fun of me because supposedly the deer keeps getting bigger and bigger every time i tell the story but it was an absolute monster oh in tennessee yeah monster. oh okay look i was talking to nick about that the other day i'm gonna go back because we talked about it on this podcast okay i'm gonna go back and find the episode because i've I almost guarantee that you're like, yeah, he's probably about a 140-inch buck. Oh, and my God, no. And now he is a 180-inch buck. No, no, when you no. Tell, sorry, he is a 180. No, he's not a 180. Yes. No, Andrew's... You, you told someone the other day, you were like, no, he was he was huge. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Maybe 170. Yeah. That, yeah, that, <laughs> no. that, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and you added 10 more inches. No. Look at you. God, man. You're like, he's, he was a boomer. No, dude. Yeah, just I mean, he's, you're a good storyteller, this, man. He just gets a you, little bigger every you year. Need, you need to go back and listen to that. By, by the it's, time you're 40, he's gonna be like the Milo Hansen. No, <laughs> no, no. He, he was. He's gonna out. be like the uh, what's that one of Mitch, the Rampala buck? How do you say that guy's name? I don't know. Mitch Rampala. Anyways, Rampala, Rampala. I don't know. But anyway, um, and then the other deer. It was the, the very next year went into a different, same general area, but a different spot I hadn't been to previously, and had a a, a monster non typical come by, and I just screwed the pooch with a bow. So, fun, it up. fun stuff. That's what happens when you're trying to sell film and you don't even get the deer on camera. <laughs> <laughs> don't get a shot. Don't get them on camera. It's like, no, nothing. Just, don't get all, don't get nothing. Yeah. So, but anyway, fun stuff. Um, but yeah, no, super excited about this season. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting. I'd be excited to kind of see from listeners, you know, if, you know, any of the listeners are all planning on doing any kind of, whether it's out of state trips, whether you're doing, there's a big rut trip, maybe in your home state. You know, kind of like what do y'all have planned? It'd be kind of interesting, kind of see maybe in, you know some of the reviews on on Apple Podcasts, uh, letting us know kind of like what are some of y'all's plans y'all have coming out this year. Yeah, um, it'd be interesting to see, especially what some of you guys have as far as last year you maybe hunted an area, and this year you kind of know how you're going to take advantage of what you learned last year. Annual patterns, annual baby. patterns. You know, because I've always said that's kind of the good marker of like how you know that you learned a lot in a season is when you get to the end of the deer season and you're like, man, if I had just done this and that, or or you're already looking ahead to next year and you're like, now I know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, now if I had just done this this past it's, year, it's, I would have. It's listen. Arcel 2.0. No, oh, it's going down. So excited. Yeah, I'm pumped. Well, uh, let's talk about Monday's episode. Um, so we had on Mr. Michael Baugh and uh, Sonny McCumpsey. 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 Man, almost got through it without, you know. Anyways, um, very interesting dude. So you've been trying to get him on for a, a long time. Yeah, like probably almost two years now. Yeah, very long time. Uh, and it just for whatever reason, like I, they're like super, two super busy guys, and I wanted them at least for the first time having them on, I wanted them both to be on the episode uh, just because they are, even though they grew up together, they still are so different on like their hunting styles. Uh, and you hear that in the episode, you know, you hear Sonny talking about, you know, he hunts some huge pieces of public land. He, he rarely goes to the same spot twice in a season. Uh, so he's constantly moving around, jumping around different spots. 
and it's worked extremely well for him. Like he's killed some really big deer. Um, you really know, big like, deer. Like one of his deer, I think it was a year or two year ago, he killed like a 164 inch buck. And he talked about it in the episode, but he's got a bunch of other, just really, really big, impressive bucks over 140 inches. And, uh, and Michael hunts on a completely different side of the state. And he's hunting areas, still pretty large pieces of public land, but it's a little bit more limited access areas. Um, you know, he can't really, he can't run trail cameras out there. We're sunny on his piece of public. He can't run trail cameras. And it's just like a slightly different hunting style. You know, one's hunting a lot more higher elevation, like bigger terrain stuff, which would be sunny. And Michael's hunting a lot more of those like kind of river bottom, uh, kind of like lower hill country kind of habitat. Um, but it, it's still super fascinating because they've both kind of hunted both places as well. They've kind of switched around a little bit, but um, just, you know, very, very interesting guys. It, 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 like a, a big takeaway was like, again, the the thought between both of them when it comes to like hunting areas where it seems like to me, Michael was a lot more, uh, at least how he came across an episode, he's more willing to kind of go back into spots over and over again. Like yeah. you find that good spot where you have, you know, Thick cover close by, like he gave an example where there was a, a, a creek drainage where you had, you know, thickets on each side of the creek and some oaks down the bottom. And for whatever reason, those deer want to cross and kind of come down to the creek at this one point where they were feeding and how it'd been a dynamite spot for him. And he's killed a few deer over there off the ground specifically, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a spot that he, like, he continues to go back to. And it sounds like he might would hunt that spot a few different times throughout the season. You know, when the timing's right where Sonny is not necessarily doing that. Like Sonny said, like, you know, I may hunt a spot twice, but you know, I'm not going to sit in one spot for the whole week uh, of hunting. Um, and I'm like, dude, that is, that, that is pretty cool. And again, they're both successful that they, they both, uh, you know, or do well in their, you know, respected areas. Um, but it's like, they, they just, you know, they're so different between like their hunting styles. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I found I found both of them super interesting, especially Michael uh, talking about how he can't use trail cameras, and he kind of dives a little bit deeper into buck sign and, and reading buck sign, and he talked at the end of the podcast about uh, reading rubs and specifically looking for rubs that are like real like gnarly and just like have have like the deep grooves in them where you can tell that that buck has like some certain like notches on his base. Yeah. You know, more mass. And it's also one of those things like we've had guys, I know Paul Guterres talked about this when we've had him on the podcast and I'm sure there's others. I just can't think of off the top of my head, but have talked about the idea of, you know, a lot of these mature bucks. And if you kill a buck that's five, six or plus years old, typically they're going to have more gnarly bases on their antlers. Like it's going to yeah. be, like I said, it's going to have more of those burrs on it. And, you know, a deer that's that old also is going to be probably, you know, a decent amount heavier than a lot of the other younger bucks in the area. They're going to put a lot more weight in those rubs. And with that more heavy mass and those more gnarly bases, they're going to do a lot more damage. Cause a lot, I think some people, I don't know where this comes from. Cause I know I used to be like this too. I think some people, if you're not like maybe like a, a, a super seasoned deer hunter, think that like rubs are from like the tines of the buck yeah but it's real like tines only hit the tree when they're twisting their antlers around it's majority of what they're doing all that damage on that tree is from their base and their maybe their brow tines yeah but it's really the way they hook them in there's tons of videos on youtube guys you can kind of go and watch how bucks rub trees but they typically they come up and they kind of turn that head to the side left or right a little bit and they're rubbing like Potentially some of that brow tines hitting, depending on what the brow tine looks like, but it's it's a lot of just the base of their antlers rubbing up on that tree. Um, and like the tine marks hit, like the cool thing about rubs is you can kind of tell the size of a deer, depending on like where you're at in the country, at least like how tall some of those tines are based off, you'll have like tine marks where like the tip of those tines will like gouge that tree higher up than where the, the actual rubs at. Um, it can kind of give you an idea of potentially like how tall that deer's rack is or some of those tines. Um, but you know, it, that is something super interesting. He was talking about finding those big rubs in areas that, you know, maybe it's an area that's huntable, but it doesn't have to be an area huntable. Maybe it could be wide open timber, but it's just trying to backtrack that sign closer to some of that thicker cover where you're finding more of those rubs, more of those scrapes all in a certain area where there's a ton of deer using it. And that's those areas that, you know, specifically Michael seems to have a lot of success killing some of those bucks. Yeah, I love talking about rubs, man. I feel like uh, there's like there used to be a lot of like what I feel like is kind of junk information out there about rubs. Do you remember uh, Rubline Slime? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. Just like weird stuff out there about rubs, man. I forgot about that entirely. Like you're then, talking about the product, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rubline Slime, big like neon green stuff. You're supposed to like put it on the rubs or whatever. 
that's some weird stuff back then. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's like the whole. Uh, what is it? It's uh, I can't remember what the forehead gland is, but you have like the preorbital, which definitely gets hit on a uh, licking branch. But I think some of that still hits on a on a. Um, yeah, on I forgot a rub the too. name of the. I forgot the name of the uh, the gland in the forehead. But mm-hmm. yeah, no that. Uh, Michael talking about that kind of got me fired up. And and a really important thing I feel like about what Michael was talking about specifically was he's hunting like thick, nasty swamps. Mm -hmm. Like he's out there. And at one point he mentioned uh, like, oh, these deer were going to feed in like these big open, big open woods, like big open, I guess, river bottom woods. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's finding some kind of thicket to kind of get up against. And I also found it interesting how he's talking about hacking his way into spots and, and, circling around uh with like a machete basically and just going through a swamp and kind of j-hooking to get into a spot and uh that that goes to show his i guess commitment to access in some of these areas where he's hunting some river bottom stuff that it sounds like a lot of other people are probably hunting too but he's just accessing it a different way and having luck doing that which is i always like talking to people about that because i think a lot of a lot of people probably myself included here get screwed up from access like they're not accessing a spot correctly or they're not thinking about it in the right way or or they just don't want to go the extra mile and you know because accessing something correctly can be really really difficult and counterintuitive when there's like a trail you could just walk to get there but instead of walking the trail you're going and and beating down brush for a quarter mile and swinging around through the backside of the swamp you know wearing your knee boots you know well and also you know something michael talked about is like some of those spots aren't very far from the road like he's, he's talking about ones like 200 yards from the road but to get to it it's so thick and nasty that not many guys are punching through that stuff to mm-hmm. get around to the back side of it um and i mean kind of goes back to like co- topics we've had you know had our buddy michael pike on the podcast and a lot of guests were talking about you know these overlooked spots that are super close to the road like where you have a, a y in the road or the road splits that area right between the y not many people hunt that and that could be like the perfect spot if there's some thick cover right there that buck could, you know, spend a lot of time there, not just bedding, but even like tra- traveling through. And uh, it seems like Michael's really taking that to heart with his hunting style where like some of his spots, like he said, like some of the spots may be a mile plus in the woods and then others could be 200 yards from the road. And the funny thing is after we've hunted like bigger pieces of public land the last couple of years where you can get truly like miles from access points yeah. and, and not be walking into other access points. Like there's not many places uh, in the Southeast you can do that, but there's some huge parcels. Like you get stuff in a bunch of different States that you can do that in. Uh, it kind of makes you look at like, Oh yeah, if I'm, if I'm just walking a mile, like back in some spots, it's really not that far anymore. Mm-hmm. Like to me, I mean, like, no, same. Like, I mean, it, it, unless you're like trying to be like super quiet, like, like afternoon hunt sucks. Cause especially if there's no wind, but, you know, if it's a morning hunt and, like, I'm pretty sure the deer aren't going to be, like, on that path of travel I'm going in and they're going to be feeding somewhere else. I mean, you can knock out a mile, depending on what the habitat's like and, and the elevation gain. I mean, easily without breaking a sweat in probably 20 minutes. Tops. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, well, I say without breaking a sweat. I'll break a sweat easy, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. It could be 20 degrees out. You're going to sweat. Yeah, I'm going to get down. I'm going to get down my skivvies. Um <laughs> But again, it's like, dude, it is, uh, it is fascinating. Like when you start talking to people, uh, and it's not necessarily with like, uh, talking with, uh, Sonny and Michael, but there's like other guys where still like, you know, if you come from like that, um, like <clears throat> hunting club culture, we're like the average guy, not, you know, a lot of listeners, you know, they're trying to become not average, the average white tail hunter. They're trying to become, you know, a, a better yep. white tail hunter. But if you look at the average white tail hunter, you know, it's in a hunting club, that likes, you know, hunting in shooting houses or blinds or in ladder stands. Most of those dudes aren't walking more than a couple hundred yards tops. Most of them aren't, aren't even walking a couple hundred yards. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, some will park their ATV 15 yards in the back of the shooting house and climb into it, as we saw in your hunting club. Oh, yeah. and uh, Very common. It's like, definitely, I can see, like, again, if you kind of get out of that comfort zone of not doing that and be willing to walk a little bit more, especially, like, in a hunting club, dude, like, there's always going to be a couple dudes, especially if you have a club where you have 15, 20 meters. There's, there's going to be a couple guys that are more serious about it that are willing to put in that effort. But majority, probably I'd say 80% of those people aren't going to be doing that. And you can eliminate those 80% of those people fairly easily. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely what we saw in my club too, which I'm going to go out this weekend and, and pull some cameras and put out some different cameras. Uh, I'm going to go hit some creek crossings and uh, and throw some cameras up on some creek crossings and try to catch some bachelor groups and some low spots. 
So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but my stepdad joined the club this year, so mm-hmm. we're going to get out there, get so after it's, it. it's you, Mike, and Sam in the club? Is yeah, and, and the other guy that I know that lives over here, uh-huh. he joined the club too. Oh. So now we got all kinds of folks in the club. <laughs> I know, but now now you get some competition because it's a listener. <laughs> Y'all better yeah. start working together, my man. Yeah, me and him, are. we already talked. We're going to go out scouting together. I'm gonna so see he, can so he got weekend. out of his other club? I don't know if he got out of the other club or not. Oh, he's bald. It's funny because I was, I was, uh, was going to join his club, and then he texted me the other day. He's like, hey, I jumped in your club. If you want to go scouting sometime. I was like, yeah, let's go. Dang, brother, he's balling out of control, man. Got like 7,000 acres to it for himself. <laughs> Dude, I, oh, my gosh, yeah. I want to join both of hey, them. Hey, you got to tell him. If he's still in the other club, he's got to take you as a guest now. <laughs> <laughs> that's right um so uh now sunny so moving on from michael and going on to sunny uh i found i found sunny pretty interesting just with how much he bounces around uh but also like how he runs his trail camera so again you were kind of talking about it earlier it seems like kind of the theme this year is going to be like annual patterns or whatever yeah we're talking about we that keep before. talking about it. like it keeps coming up in yeah. conversations and uh that's what sunny was talking about he puts cameras out and he just doesn't check them you know, and and he's he's taking that information. And he's going to use it later. Unless he did say the only time he's checking trail cameras is if he happens to be hunting there. If he happens to be hunting that spot, you know, maybe before or after the hunt, he'll check that camera and see if it's worth, you know, kind of probing back into that area anymore. Um, and you know, kind of tells him some stuff, which is interesting. Again, that's uh, that's kind of fascinating. I think he talked about also like cell cameras don't work where he's at, so he's like, I can't, I don't have the advantage of using cell cameras. Yeah. Um. So you know that that's pretty fascinating. But hey. Some other listeners, sure, I'm sure, have the same situation where even though you're hunting remote areas, you can still get some kind of cell signal. So if you are running cell cameras, like you do, that you do have that advantage of uh, being able to see, you know, real time what's kind of happening out there. Um, but again, sunny situation, he he doesn't have that opportunity. So it's truly just placing trail cameras and uh, and kind of focusing on. And one thing he one thing he talked about too is like kind of focusing on those uh, kind of transition areas where. He calls it pawing, but like scrapes where you find a bunch of scrapes popping up. And those yep. are kind of the areas like he likes to put those trail cameras at. Um, you know, sometimes it might be around a logging road, you know, a gap in some cover, a low spot, something like that, that, you know, they're they're really working that ground. Yep. And to be able to put those trail cameras there or put a trail camera there, kind of to see what's going on, I mean, I think it's, you know, pretty interesting. Um, but also, another thing about Sonny, and this is something that I'm excited about having him back on the podcast is, how much time he puts in like October because the muzzler season in uh, Arkansas is typically like mid to late October. Yep. It's like that two week period of time when it's open, and that's when he's doing a lot of hunting and when he's killing a lot of these a lot of these bucks, which is definitely like kind of you know super early pre rut getting into some pre rut or even some early does coming in heat, uh, kind of later part of, of the muzzler season, and how he totally like leaves these areas come gun season because of all like the pressure from like other hunters coming in, even though it's a lot of public, but he's like, you know, there's, there's parts of Arkansas that you can run dogs in and that's one of them. Um, so, you know, that being a a factor where you got a ton of dudes out there, you know, running hounds, um, you know, kind of messes up the the deer movement from like what he's trying to focus on. So he doesn't even deal with it. He doesn't even go out there and, and, and deal with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, once that starts happening, which again, I thought was kind of interesting because it makes me wonder, I'm like, is there not any like super remote spots you could get to where like that almost kind of helps you because potentially it'll push those bucks back into like very mm. specific locations? Yeah. Um, and that's something I want to kind of talk to him more about, you know, on another episode. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it is really interesting when you talk to guys like that. And again, you know, especially like Sonny and like his experience hunting like that more like kind of hill mountainous country of the state and, and dealing with those kind of conditions, but he's still successful. Um, and it, the most fascinating thing is how much he bounces around. I'll be a hundred percent on. That's I was where I keep going back, bring that up. I keep going back to it. Cause like guys that we've talked to that hunt similar kind of habitat, um, Rusty Johnson, uh, and the habitat being big woods, oh, like big that, mountains. Yeah. That train stuff really more the train and the habitat, like Rusty Johnson, Rustin Johnson. Uh, what, um, uh, Drew um, Atkinson. Atkinson. He's another big one that hunts that big woods area. Again, you know, dogs can be raining on a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're having success at points of the season that it doesn't seem like Sonny's really hunting. Like, Ru- yeah. Rusty's kind of capitalizing earlier on compared to like some of these other guys. I mean, I know Drew definitely has killed some bucks, you know, during that same point of the season, but it always seems like Rusty and, and, and Rustin kind of are killing their deer, you know later November going into December. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, again, super fascinating. Like, he's bouncing around where all these other guys 
are kind of like, I've got a spot. I'm going to hunt this thing for three or four days. Or like Rusty, he might hunt the same spot for a week and like just keep hunting it, keep hunting it, keep hunting because he knows at some point there's going to be a big buck that comes through there. And that just blows my mind. Because again, I'm kind of more like Sonny. I like hunting some new spots. Man. Yeah, dude, bouncing around. It, it To me, it keeps it fresh, keeps it fun. Um, so to see him have success in those kind of that kind of like terrain by bouncing around is really fascinating. Yeah, I was. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to bring up next about him because I would more expect somebody in Michael's situation who's hunting big river bottom, you know, big wood settings, or like even maybe some ag around and stuff. I would expect that kind of person just because you have a high deer density and you've got a lot of options to run around to, but. Sonny hunting the mountains, like I just I didn't expect him to say that he was bouncing around like that, and it is fascinating. But it also, I I think that probably speaks to how honed in his tactic is because he's probably he probably knows exactly what he's looking for, you know, and and he can bounce around and he's got confidence in that. And I did a a podcast last week. I was a guest on a different podcast. It was uh the uh, NDA podcast, uh, Deer Season three sixty five. And one of the last questions on there was with all the people that you've interviewed over the last five years, you know, we're at like, this is episode 481. So out of all the people that we've interviewed over the last couple of years, do they have anything in common? Like all these big buck killers. And what I told him is I was like, you know what? I think what it really boils down to, like they don't, if you look at all of them, like they have nothing in common. I mean, they're all very different. I mean, they do similar stuff, but if there was one thing that, pretty much all of them have in common is that they they're they're really confident in what they're doing and they're and they're disciplined in how they execute it so if if they have a tactic that they think is going to work they're they go out there and they hunt like they mean it you know like they they're very confident in that tactic and and they're not going to deviate from it we're like i know that me and you both are horrible about this where we go in and we start second guessing and we're like well i don't know maybe we should go over here i don't know should i access that way should i actually do this like how many times has it been the night before we're about to go hunt and like we're sitting on the couch like on onyx or something you're like well what do you think about this over here oh, actually I'm, I'm terrible about that yeah i mean like i'm like, terrible. I'll, I'll have a game plan i'll be talking about for a week and literally six hours before we have to wake up to go out there i'm like oh dude i have here i've had it where i pull up at the gate on the wma and i'm like i don't know and then i move and i go to a different gate and go hunt a different spot like, i'm terrible about it uh but yep. I, but i think a lot of guys who are successful they don't do that kind of stuff like they stick to the plan and they and they hunt seriously like they're not gonna be loud walking in they're they're gonna act like they're gonna kill a buck when they go in the woods and i think that I'm I'm eager to get Sonny back on by himself to like really dig into what he does because I'm I'm gonna predict that it's probably something like that. Like he's got his formula figured out where he knows how to kill bucks in those mountains, and that gives him the confidence to just bounce around, you know, to wherever. And you know, he's got his formula if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. When you think turkey calls. Think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call you know that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on bottom line there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey you can get 15% off of your order at houndstooth game calls by using the promo code SOP24 that's SOP24 use that promo code it'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast true lock chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better 
pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from TrueLock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give TrueLock a shot this spring, you can head over to TrueLockChokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-Chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at TrueLockChokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Oh, dude, it's exciting. Like, you think about it, and it's like, that—that that is probably like a question we need to ask more of these guys that are really successful in doing it for decades, is how do you, how do you build a plan and stick with that plan, but also when do you know to pull the plug and do something slightly different or move to a different area? Mm-hmm. Like what's kind of going through your mindset when that happens, um, especially when you start talking about hunting pressure and you got to pull an audible, um, or you know someone beat you to the spot or or whatever. Like how how do you kind of figure out you know what that next step is? And I know a lot of that like it's something like you can't really learn from a podcast, but maybe we can kind of get into their mindset of like how they go about you know making those decisions on the fly when they have to, but also how they really just stay focused, stick to the plan, and really dive deep on that plan. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious, like with you, how, how often do you think it is that when you go in and you stick to the plan that you've had for a long time, it, it works out? Because like oh, yeah. for me, always. Oh, like, not always, but like very high. Well, like our mountain hunt last year, yeah. I had I had a very specific plan. I had two spots where I'm like, these are the two spots. And I backed out on one of them and you went there and shot a buck. And then on the last afternoon, I hunted the other one and I shot a buck. And I'm like, dude, if I'd have just sat there, if I'd sat there the afternoon that you shot your buck, I would have killed the biggest buck we had on camera. Or I would have shot at him, at least. (laughs) So, but because he came by on camera while we were cutting up your deer, which kind of broke my heart a little bit. It did. Yeah, we're sitting there and we're like, "Uh, he is down there. Like right now? Like right now. Like, like, just run down the hill real quick. I, I don't think I realized it until I actually pulled the camera because it was a cell camera but we've we've learned that those cell cameras do not send you every single picture absolutely not because because like i'll be like man that thing's been dead for like five days and then i'll go pull the card and i'll go look through and it was taking pictures the whole time a deer and not sending it to me Uh, i think that might have been the case i I don't maybe maybe we didn't know that buck was there until you pulled that card i I think so because you pulled the camera like like after you shot your buck, or the day you shot your buck, like the next day or whatever, two days later. Yeah. Um, no, no, it was, it was the next day. Um, wasn't it? Yeah. No, I pulled the camera when I killed the buck. But that's what I'm saying, but you killed it the next day after I shot my deer. Oh, yeah, yeah. You killed that next Yeah, because you, you shot your deer kind of early. You shot your deer midday, and we were at your deer, like, cutting them up. It was like 3.30 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. We'd already, I think, drug your deer up and, uh, and started cutting them up. And... That buck came by chasing a doe. I mean, right slam in front of that tree that me and Thomas hunted at 3.30 in the afternoon. Broad daylight, man. I mean, talking about big old eight-point running through there. But uh, anyways, that's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah, it is sometimes. But but so, like, that's the case for you a lot, too, I guess, is, like, yeah. is you stick to a plan and you go in there and you have success. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because, like, there's a reason why, and I'll say this, me – three even just three years ago wouldn't have been the case because there's still like a lot of second guessing i feel like i'm now coming about like having a lot more confidence when i go in the woods like what i'm looking for yeah like how to go about approaching stuff and it's like it's starting to, the pieces are now that puzzle is starting to come more together for me and it's like now especially like after last year like if 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 i've scouted a spot whether it's aerial imagery or actually boots on the ground and i have a good feeling about it there's a pretty good chance i'm going to get observation of a good buck uh, if the timing's right and everything else and everything goes goes well, you know, there's always outliers. Um, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to become more and more confident with what I'm doing. Um, and when, again, like you said, when, you, when I'm sticking to the plan, I have a plan and stick to it. Typically, if I don't talk myself out of it, those are the times when, you know, there's there's opportunities and potential deer being killed. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. I feel like I'm just now coming in. Exactly the same situation. Going back to the whole special opportunity area we hunted where, you know, shot and missed slash wounded that real big deer then you were all a hissy fit i'm like dude we're coming back to the same spot oh yeah like there's dope. that was also the spot all week where i start before we got there i'm like we got to hunt the spot and we didn't hunt it until the last half of the hunt yeah but it was one of those areas that like 
you know, that big buck was in there working a big, a big scrape. There was does in the area. So I'm like, if that buck's in here and these does are in here, there's gotta be some other bucks coming through this area. Like there's so much going on here. The habitat train, the habitat, the train, everything in this area is lined up perfectly. And there's sign all over the place. I'm like, we've got to come back in here and hunt it and not just abandon it because you, you miss an opportunity. And we went back in there and killed two bucks. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. Um, that's a good morning. Yeah. So like, that's to me, like the big thing is like, dude, you've got, and like, you can't, and like this goes back to like the whole episode series we've done with uh, uh, Richard Fott in the past couple of years ago, of like becoming like the ten percent of like you know ten percent of hunters kill. It's not necessarily works out this way, but something that we've said and a lot of other people say this too is you know ten percent of the hunters kill nine percent of the mature deer, uh, or some people even say nine percent of the animals, which I don't think that's necessarily the case. There'd be there'd be a lot of people over over the tag limit. Over the but, limit. Um, I do truly believe there's there's a there's a small small minority of hunters that have that confidence that can go out there and actually you know execute and kill mature deer um and a lot of those dudes they have that plan they stick to that plan they hunt like you said with extreme uh confidence but you can't like we talked about that episode with richard those episodes with richard and some other guys you can't teach confidence it's something you can't listen to a podcast like oh man i'm gonna go out there and kill big buck today like you you can't do it until you start actually building confidence by implementing whether it's stuff you hear on the podcast or stuff you start doing by your, by yourself and you start seeing some success and you start seeing these patterns and then you keep trying to replicate those patterns, whether it's in the same area or in a different area. And that's how you build the confidence. Yeah. That's what I was going to get to next on that because, uh, like I feel like we're both kind of in that stage right now where we're starting to come into our own a little bit. Like we're starting to, to have enough confidence to be like, okay, I really know what I'm doing. Like, I'm very confident in this. Like we were just planning some hunts and we were map scouting for one of the big hunts we're doing this year. And like me and you both, I think we found two or three spots. We're like, this is it. Yep. Like this is it for sure. If we get, if we go put time into these spots, somebody's going to see something, have an opportunity. Um, what do you think is a way that people, you know, going into the fall and even maybe throughout the summer, you know, with scouting and everything, uh, can be intentional about starting to, I don't know, build that confidence in themselves. All right. Because it is intentional, I will say. So I'm going to go back on what I've said for many years. Oh, no. I've always said, like, again, I even mentioned on this podcast, love jumping around to different spots. Oh. If you, if you don't have confidence and you jump around to different spots, you probably aren't going to kill anything. Because we've all been there. I've been there. You've been there. Oh, yeah. I'm sure a lot of listeners have been there. It, it And it goes back to the episode we did with Wes Moe back in, like, it was back when you were living in Auburn, dude. It was like episode like 170 something. Yeah. And he talked about if, yeah, you're, I remember that. if you're starting out, whether it's on a hunting club or whether you're on public land, you need to find a certain amount of acreage that you're comfortable learning and learn it like the back of your hand. Ha- learn to have success there yeah. and then expand out. And that's something you and me have never done. Like we we've always been like you know, just gypsies in the wind, just going different places. <laughs> That's probably why it's taken like six years for us to get to this point. Then, <laughs> even longer. I'm I'm thinking longer, almost ten years now, um, because for the first five to six years, especially hunting public, that's all I would do is just jump around from spot to spot to spot. But 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 it's not like it's not like Sunny. We're like he's going to spots that he has confidence in. We're just like going to like random locations, and or at least I was going to random locations. Like, oh, this kind of looks okay, but there's there's no real reason of why I thought it was okay. Now, it's like after hunting different habitats, hunting different areas, and seeing patterns in between different areas, and sometimes it's not even the same habitat terrain features, but there's a certain pattern you'll find. I'm like, okay, now if I'm going to go hunt this river bottom stuff. Again, I struggled in it last year in Arkansas. After hunting it, now hunting like Arkansas for a little bit, but also hunting different parts of Alabama and different kind of that same kind of habitat type. I have a lot better idea of how those deer move down there Yep. versus what I was looking at a couple of years ago. Cause a couple of years ago, I was like, I'll oh, just go sit here, go sit there. There's no real reason. Cause there's no real, you know, train feature to really focus on, but there are super subtle ones that you can find. You can focus on that potentially mm-hmm. have success with. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it kind of goes back to like, if, if you're trying to build confidence, you have to find an area that you can truly learn, break down and hunt. Like it's your own property and once you have success there and you kind of, again, when you kill a deer, whether it's a year and a year and a half year old buck, if that's like your goal, or you're trying to kill a mature buck or just trying to kill does, why did you kill that deer when you finally pull the trigger or, or release that arrow? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then how can you replicate it? And then once you kind of start re- replicating and start finding a pattern of where and how you're killing those deer, 
then you can kind of expand out and I think have more success. I feel like someone does that, they're going to learn a lot quicker than you're just bouncing around like what we've done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And th- that is exactly what Wes said. I, I remember that. I remember that episode. It was a January episode because it was mm-hmm. after we got our butts whooped that deer season. We're like, Wes, how do we, how? Um, no, that, that's, I, I pretty much agree with everything you just said. Um, and you know what? You were saying that, and I said five or six years, but it, like I just realized I have, I've been, exclusive like exclusive public for 10 years now it's Mm -hmm. been 10 years and for some reason i I still think it's like five or six man time flies when you're having fun uh but no it's been about 10 years or or getting your teeth kicked in by the deer yeah that's right maybe i'm just so delirious from getting beat up every year (laughs) um no i think at the very beginning i kind of did that uh there i had one gate that that's all i hunted behind and for two or three years that's all i did and then I, then I started bouncing around that WMA. Yeah. And then a little bit after that, the, then I started bouncing around the whole southeast. Yeah. The first the first time I ever hunted with Andrew, he took me to this spot behind this one gate he's always hunted, garholed me, and let and I, I did, all I shot with my bow was an armadillo that day. Oh. Didn't, didn't see a single deer. Man. He's like he's like man, this is the money spot, that bro. That was way back. You I, know what? I killed a buck there. I killed a buck in that spot. So it did work. So again, one time. But it, but it's it's kind of funny. I'm just giving Andrew shit. <laughs> but again, like that that that's a good reason. But the problem is, like yeah, you can hunt one area year over year, but you have to go out. And this is this is just my opinion. What are you gonna learn that can apply for next year? Those annual patterns. What are you gonna learn from this year? If you're just gonna go out there and just randomly sit in the woods, even if it's say there's 500 to a thousand acres or two thousand acres that you're gonna be hunting on a piece of public or a hunting club or whatever that you're like really gonna learn a spot. If you just go out there and just go sit randomly in the woods, but you're not taking notes, you're not truly trying to learn how the deer are using that area, you're going to come back to it every year, and you'll be like, "Well, I don't know. I saw a deer here during this time. This time of the year, I have no reason, no idea why they were here. You know, I yeah. saw a buck run through this area, but you're not paying attention to the doe bedding areas. You're not paying attention to the potential where the bucks are spending time. You're not paying attention to the thick cover. If you're not paying attention to all that stuff, even if you hunt one area exclusively, you're not going to learn anything. You have to go out there and always be asking the question, why. Like, like if I'm focused on this thousand acre parcel in the middle of, say, a huge piece of public land or just a hunting club, every time you go out there, like, why am I seeing deer? Why am I not seeing deer? Why am I seeing sign in this spot, but I'm not seeing sign in this other spot from tracks, uh, trails, scrapes, rubs, droppings, you know, the whole nine yards. And once you start compounding that, that's where you build the confidence of like where you're finding deer versus where you're not seeing deer. And the reasoning why you may be seeing deer in one area versus not in another area. Yeah. And then also what may be nighttime sign versus daytime sign and day, where you're going to find daylight movement. All that kind of stuff you have to be thinking about as you're applying it to a specific area. And I feel like when you do that and you do that for a season or two, you really start to build that confidence because you're going to quickly learn, even if you can only hunt one day a week, uh, which a lot of guys can. You know, you can hunt one day a week maybe on a Saturday, especially if you get family and stuff. Maybe Sundays are tied up for you. You can't hunt it in the week, uh, like Monday through Friday. Just doing that, you're going to learn a lot if you're going with that kind of perspective and then also trying to scout when you can. And, and my thing is, like, I love scouting with a bow in my hand or a gun in my hand. Yeah, me too. Like, if it's in season, like, don't think you have to scout preseason because a lot of stuff you're going to find right now is, first off, a lot of that sign is so hard to find. Like, even some of the rubs down here in the deep south, depending on the kind of tree that that, that was being rubbed, you know, it's going to be hard to kind of figure out. You're not going to know when that tree was actually rubbed, first yeah. off. And then also... Everything gets so green and lush right now. It's hard to see a lot of those trails. It's hard to see a lot of the tracks unless you're down on the creek bottom and you find a creek crossing or something like that. Um, so a lot of it really doesn't come into like being super valuable until season's here. And then what you're going to find in October down here in the southeast, like sign-wise, is going to completely change. And those deer are probably going to move a decent bit by the time November and December gets here, especially as you get closer to the rut in the Southeast. Yeah. Um, so like all that has to come in, you know, you have to put all that together. I feel like in order to kind of like build that confidence and build that success. Yeah. And even with us a couple of years back, I mean, we were traveling a lot and, and hunting in a lot of different places. And, uh, I think it, I don't remember which season it was maybe like 2018 or something, maybe 2019. I don't remember. Uh, we had a, like a exceptionally tough year one year. And that was the year that we had traveled a lot. And then the year after that, we're like, let's kind of dial it back a little bit. And uh, like with me, especially, I I took what Wes talked about. That's, yeah, it must have been like 2019, I guess. Mm-hmm. I took what Wes talked about and applied it and it, it worked out. I mean, I was able to kill a couple bucks. Those, those two bucks that I shot in the same spot, mm-hmm. 
that was that was one of those spots. That was a that was like my second or third year in that spot. So I I feel like you can you can do the trips and, and still learn, kind of like we're talking about. Like we're not telling anybody to necessarily skip the trips because, uh, like back when we were doing all those trips, I felt like we did learn a lot. Like we had a lot of hunts in Tennessee, like you were talking about, like early on in the Southern outdoorsman world. Um, we had we had several hunts up there where we came close, and I felt like we learned a lot. But we also kind of bounced around, and when it can when it comes to like actually killing a mature buck there were there were several years there where we like we had kind of a dry spell and i feel like it was partly because we were bouncing around so much but that doesn't mean we didn't learn anything but i'm just saying that if you're going to be like really intentional and you're you're going to have a strategic approach to building confidence and really growing your skill set uh then I think that kind of doing it on your home turf is going to be the way to go. Uh, like again, if you're wanting to be like very strategic and get good at it fast, that's how you do it. Yeah. Like if you're kind of starting out, like my stepdad, Mike, he just joined our hunting club. This is exactly what I'm going to tell him to do. And he might listen to this, but what I, what I'd tell him to do is this club that we're in, it's 1800 acres. Mike, if you're listening to this, I would, I would pick a, a third of that club maybe and I would just kind of focus on that. Like you can go to other parts of the club, but I would kind of pick an area and just really drill down on it and try to figure it out. Because if you're trying to get like really proficient and get good at deer hunting and get confident within like a three year time span, I feel like that's how you do it. And then, and then you can take what you learn from there and you can, when you go to new areas, you have a good frame of reference. Because when I look back at some of the trips that we did, I'm like, man, I did not know what I was doing. Like, I didn't know what I was missing. And I can look back on it now and kind of learn from it. But I feel like it would have been better. Like, now when I'm going to places, I just feel like I'm, I'm like, absorbing so much more information because mm-hmm. I've got a higher baseline, I guess, of knowledge. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, go on the trips and everything. But if if you want to get, I think, confident and better faster, like that – Wes's approach to just taking an area and breaking it down is, is the way to go. Also, if you go on trips, this is my take on going on trips. Again, going in with a mindset, if you kill a deer, it's a bonus. But what your goal should be is, especially if you're trying to go hunt out of state in a different area, I would pick a state that you can hunt year after year. And you need to do some research on what part of the state you want to go hunt. And you need to go in with that first year, that first year, whether you're able to scout ahead of time or you're going, you know, and you're scouting slash hunting when you're actually on the ground, go in and try to figure stuff out, learn how the deer are using that area this year. Hopefully maybe get an opportunity to kill a buck or at least seeing a good buck, but build confidence in that location that you can then go to the next year and you can kind of build on what you're doing. That's what we're doing in Arkansas. That's what we've done in Tennessee. Um, done that a little bit in Georgia, but not really great because there's a certain time of the year, you know, y'all have had more success in Georgia yeah. than others. Uh, and the same thing in Alabama, it's like you're building like these destination hunts, you're like building confidence in a specific property and you're trying to, you know, my goal would be to come back to that spot year after year until you start having more success there. And then you'd be like, okay, now let's go try a different area or a different state or something like that. Um, because again, it's like, uh, you know, you, you see, like I, I, we haven't done an elk trip yet, <clears throat> but elk's definitely on our, on our bucket or on our list for maybe 2024, 2025. I've been building up a bunch of points in, in uh, Wyoming, but maybe try to take advantage of uh, some opportunity in Colorado. But my, my goal is first time we go out there, it is truly a learning experience. Yeah. Okay. Not, I'm not, going out with the mindset like we're gonna 100% gonna go kill a bull let's go figure out you know what is it gonna take in order to even find these animals and stick with them and know it's gonna take probably multiple trips in order to start having success because I know guys have gone elk hunting a lot and they still haven't killed them uh, they still haven't killed a bull and have gone four or five six times mm-hmm. and it's just same thing with the whitetails I mean you, you've got to learn an area and, and really figure that out and they kind of expand from there but um no, that's an exciting thing because like when you one thing I love about whitetail hunting and like your wife, Tiffany, she gets on to us about this. Like, why would you go? Like we went to Wyoming, uh, back in 2020, uh, to go deer or whitetail hunting. And well, the, ta- the tags are good for mule deer or whitetail, but we're trying to focus on whitetails. And she's like, why would you go all the way out there to hunt whitetails? And the thing is, is it's like a different environment. It's a different adventure. And that's the cool thing about whitetails is you can chase whitetails so many oh. different parts of the country Dude. and it's all different. Oh, dude, I told her, we, we had that conversation the other day, and people who are, who are like, in the Birmingham area, they know about the Summit, right? That's where all the fancy shops are, you know, like, all the all the rich people go shop at the Summit. I'm like, 
you asking me why would you go to Kansas when we have deer in Alabama is like me saying to you why wouldn't you uh, go to like the Piggly Wiggly in downtown Columbiana versus going to the summit you know to go shopping Mm -hmm. you know it's just different but like it's just higher quality in a lot of ways now not to knock on alabama because I, I love alabama and i love the southeast but it's just something different like you're going and chasing a different caliber animal you're going to chasing a chasing them in a different habitat and it for me it's like an adventure you know um so and like with kansas this year if we go to kansas i'm taking that exact view i'm like hey i'm going out there if we kill one awesome if we don't like this is gonna be fun i'm gonna get to hunt kansas like i've watched people on videos and stuff hunt kansas my whole life you know it's it's kind of like you know the whitetail it's like one of the whitetail meccas or whatever no, no, let, let me tell you this a little bit different though so my opinion on like what i was talking about is for someone newly starting out it's kind of like learning this stuff i feel very confident with where we're potentially going to go to kansas and how we're going to go about hunting it so i feel decently confident i, I feel it's not my what we're doing in kansas is definitely not my cup of tea it is not your cup of tea but it is it is up my alley (laughs) okay up my alley so um but again that to me the like my perspective on that is just hunting other areas and kind of having and hunting again big ag areas not in kansas but i've hunted places like that in other states and kind of how the deer use that different times of the season and us going out there i'm feeling I'm not saying, you know, go kill a huge deer, but if we, I, I have, I think we're going to have an opportunity to be able to kill some decent deer while we're out there. Um, you know, applying what we've learned and kind of, you know, expanding that into a different state. But that is the cool thing is like, once you start building confidence in your home state and then start having success outside of your state, um, it really opens the doors to be able to kind of travel around and really, you know, apply what you've learned and what you know in different areas and kind of seeing Hey, does that, does a certain pattern, does a certain style of hunting apply in different areas? If it does start seeing that success replicate. Um, and then it's just, it's just more fun from there then. Cause then you're really trying to start expanding into yeah. different areas and, and different opportunities. Oh yeah, exactly. Like with Kansas this year for me, I, I like, obviously I want to go out there and shoot a big deer, but also I'm always thinking of stuff like a couple years in the future. So like for our Kansas trip this year, I'm going to be looking and I'm going to be taking, there's another thing I talked about on the uh, National Deer Association podcast the other day, taking really, really good pins on Onyx and taking really good notes and taking pictures and stuff. So in two to three years, when I've got more Kansas points to burn and I'm going there for a rut hunt, like I've got, I've got a really good starting point because I've already hunted the air. I might not hunt the same properties, but I've been to the region I want to hunt before mm-hmm. and, and I've got a starting point, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, cause like I, I really, I, I wanted to hunt Kansas in November, but I wanted to do the Arkansas hunt in November more. <laughs> so in a couple of years though, Kansas is going to be back up, you know, when we build those points back up. So, uh, I'm excited, dude. Well, I'm excited to go out there and, and learn to lay the land a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, other than that, dude, uh, it's been fun, fun episode. Hopefully you guys are getting excited about whitetails. Oh, one thing I was going to say, if you're still listening to this podcast, an episode, guys, if you're just now tuning back into the podcast um, and you're maybe trying to even catch up on episodes, one episode I highly recommend for everybody to go back and listen to is episode 458. Again, episode 458, Master Hunting an Area with the Gold Betty Brothers. Oh. They do what we're talking about to a T. Oh, my gosh. Learning an Good area. Call. Yeah. About learning an area like the back of their hands, knowing when to hunt it, how to hunt it, where to hunt it. And going and they all those all the brothers and their dad they kill really good deer every single year. Uh, so again, I highly recommend guys going back. That came out earlier in March. So I know some of you guys are just now tuning back in. Some of y'all maybe aren't big turkey hunters and maybe not listen to some of the turkey content. Uh, we were still dropping deer content in the spring. And again, episode 458 with the Gold Betty Brothers. I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode. Uh, fantastic episode. Great topics. And uh, we're probably going to have a couple of those guys back on the podcast later this summer or early fall uh, to kind of dive into the topics even deeper. But again, I highly recommend going back and listening to episode 458 uh, with the Gold Betty Brothers. But other than that, um, is there anything else we got going on? Uh, we've got Mobile Hunter. Of course, we got Mobile Hunters Expo coming out here uh, in just a couple weeks uh, by the time this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, Mobile Hunters Expo in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Guys, come see us. Come hang out. It's going to be a great time. Be able to talk with past podcast guests like Jonathan Moreland, Hunter Hogan, and the great and powerful <laughs> Michael Perry. Uh, and see some of the seminars that they're going to be doing. But also, it's going to be a great time, guys, to be able to come out and try a bunch of different equipment. Um, 
that you could really try before you buy. I mean, this is the number one spot to go to. If you're truly trying to get more mobile, you know, maybe, you know, drop the climber, try to figure out something that maybe works for you a little bit better. Or if you are interested in climber, maybe trying to find a climber that works a little bit better for you than what you're currently using. This is going to be an awesome event, guys, at Open Chattanooga, t- uh, Tennessee at the uh, convention center. So, uh, again, that's June 23rd and 24th. So, hope to see you guys out there. It's going to be a great time. But Yeah. Uh, um, also, we got a giveaway going on right now with Ryan Kirby, who was on the show last week. Uh, we got one of his prints, uh, which is like the – the aging of like a whitetail buck um, that we're giving away right now. And all you have to do to enter that giveaway is go sign up for our newsletter on our website. So you will see that on there. If you get signed up for that newsletter, you're automatically entered. And uh, the the winner of that giveaway will be announced in the next newsletter, which will go out at the end of this month. So the end of June, it'll yeah. come out. Awesome. Sweet. Well, perfect, guys. Well, appreciate everybody listening to this week's episode. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this breakdown episode along with Monday's episode. And uh, we're excited to have you all back here on this coming Monday's episode of Southern Outdoorsman Podcast for more juicy details, getting you all fired up throughout the summer. So, you all have a great rest of your week. We'll catch you back here on the next episode from Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.